this is a very uh, amazing story in the land where we think there's justice and the past injustice has been only against blacks and uh, you know maybe the Native Americans need to do a better job of PR because of all the injustice they faced. However, the injustice faced by the Asians and particularly the Hindus has never been properly discussed. Namaste. Welcome back to my mini-series with Shefali Chandan, a noted historian and educator. We saw in the first two episodes many things happen to the Indian immigrants who first came to the United States. An interesting episode is that there is this man, a Sikh man, Bhagat Singh Dhind, who comes to the United States, joins the U.S. Army, and goes and fights in World War I that's for the right. United States Army. Yes. Now that's pretty patriotic. Yes. Yeah. So he's, he's a proud American. Yeah. Uh, he came in 1913 and uh, in five years, in 1918, he enlisted voluntarily uh, to fight uh, for the U.S. in World War I. And he wasn't even a citizen yet at that point. Yes, he just wanted he to go fight. He was just an immigrant. This picture is showing him with his battalion of uh, American soldiers yes. uh, in World War I. Mm -hmm. So he's, without any doubt, an American uh, patriotic fellow, give, risking his life and going and fighting. And his character was uh, described as excellent. He was honorably discharged uh, at the end of the period. And he was a veteran, essentially. And so when the time comes for him to apply for citizenship, uh, he does so. Um, and uh, at the time, there were laws from 1790 that said only free white persons were eligible for U.S. citizenship. Uh, but there were a few Indians prior to Bhagat Singh Thind who um, were able to get citizenship because they were able to find loopholes in the law. What were those loopholes? The loopholes said that uh, people who were of Caucasian descent uh, were able to become citizens and a lot of these Indians um, tried to prove that they, they too were of Caucasian descent and in some of the lower courts in some jurisdictions in certain states Indians were able to become So as citizens. I understand it the federal law said free white people are the only ones allowed to come that's a federal law. Mm -hmm. States in some states they interpreted Caucasians as yeah. free white men Yes. And some of them were able to argue with using this Aryan invasion theory, the notorious Aryan invasion theory. They were able to cite that Aryan invasion theory from the British and say that we people in India are these Aryans and therefore we are Caucasians Correct. and therefore we qualify. And therefore and, we're white. And, and therefore that definition that Indian equals Aryan, Aryan equals Caucasian, Caucasian yeah. equals white using all of that they were able to get in. Yes. Some, some people in who some were, states. Some states they were able to get in. Yes. But in the case of this particular gentleman, mm -hmm. the immigration uh, took it to the Supreme Court. So in the lower courts he was granted citizenship yes. and then the INS, remember now the climate that surrounds immigration, so the INS took this up and it went all the way uh, saying that he was not eligible. So for now, citizenship. now it's important for viewers that uh, not, you know, it's not a trivial thing in the United States to have a case go to the Supreme Court. Unlike the Supreme Court of India, which takes cases of all sorts, uh, the Supreme Court in the United States only takes constitutional cases. It's a constitutional court, which means that if there is an issue concerning the Constitution, yes. 
yeah. it will adjudicate and tell you what the constitution says, the laws, the real ultimate laws, and not disputes among people. And, and then they're binding. And, yeah, and, well, the binding also in India. The point is that in, in India, if you and I have a dispute, we can keep fighting and taking the Supreme Court. Right. But here it is uh, only a case involving the, what the constitu constitutionality and the law of the land. So this is actually a very serious precedence-setting issue, mm -hmm. according to the immigration authorities, and they take it all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says what? Tell us. So the Supreme Court ruled that uh, in 1923, in the case called um, U.S. versus Bhagat Singh Thind, that Indians, uh, while they might be Caucasian, could not be considered uh, white by the common man. And the common man is white man. Right. What he's saying is the white guy is not going to call you white, so you're not in. You're not white. Now, you can have this history argument that you are Aryan and these Aryans came from Caucasus mountains, which are baloney anyway. Mm -hmm. We know that to be baloney. Yeah. But this guy was arguing using their logic. He was saying, according to your logic, according to your accounts, we are Aryans, so we are Caucasians. So the Supreme Court said, even if you are Caucasian, you're not white. That's According right. to the common man's view of you. Right, exactly right. And so that settled it. The judge also said, it may be true that the blonde Scandinavian and the brown Hindu have a common ancestor in the dim reaches of antiquity. Yeah, maybe that you, the brown fellow, and this blonde Scandinavian, maybe way back you may have had a right. common... I mean, after all, you all came from monkeys or something, so all came from Adam and Eve or whatever. Right. So maybe uh, way back you had a common ancestry. But the average man, according to the average man, is a white person. The average man knows perfectly well that there are unmistakable and profound differences between them today. So today, this blonde Scandinavian, and you, the brown Hindu... You're not the same, even though maybe once upon a time your ancestors were common. That's right. So he, this judge is very clear about yeah. this idea of race. Absolutely clear. This is totally racially motivated. So the other thing is that this ruling applied retroactively. Yes. It says it's not just from now onwards, but all you guys, mm -hmm. brown Hindus who got your citizenship in the past are kicked out. You, got to, you are no longer citizens. So a lot of people who had become citizens were the citizenship was withdrawn from them as a result of this. And worse, only citizens could own land at that time yes. in the U.S. So, they, so had to, they were removed of their land. Yes. This is an image we put up of an article. And this article says Hindus are too brunette to vote here. So it says the decision of the United States Supreme Court that Hindus are not eligible to American citizenship is most welcome in California. This is being announced in the newspaper. Okay. The decree in a test case brings Hindu holders of land in this state and likewise all descendants of Hindus within the mandatory provisions of the California anti-alien land law, which means there is a law in California says that foreigner, foreign citizens are not allowed to own land. Right. And now that these Hindus and all their descendants have been declared they can't be American citizens, therefore this land has to be taken back from them. This is what the newspaper, newspaper is saying. There must be no more leasing or sale of land to such immigrants from India. So that's so basically this has ramifications economically. Now all the land is taken away from you. That's right. And they were not and you know some of these farmers, uh, the this uh, laborers who had come and the farmers, they'd saved and they'd got together and they'd bought land. Remember they just came in 1899. Yeah. This article says the 1919 figures showed that there were 2600 Hindus residing in California 
and they almost 2100 acres of land was owned by them so they were serious landowners they were successful progressive not just landless laborers but they had worked their way to buying land and then there's more and then so hindu farmers were operating under leases and contracts upon 86000 acres of the most fertile land of the state of california and remember this is only in 23 years and not only that the numbers we're talking about there were only 2600 indians in california yeah. so 2600 indians in a land. matter of uh, 23 years yeah. uh, with all of the obstacles they were actually a very successful community it says since 1919 the hindu population has increased amazingly and their ownership and farming of lands has increased accordingly the exclusion league cited although definite statistics are lacking so what they are saying is they're very alarmed at how successful the hindus are at buying land leasing land becoming uh, great farmers and now they are great they're rejoicing that or uh, they have to get rid of all this land take away the land from these people because the supreme court has denied them of their citizenship this is This is a very uh, amazing story in the land where we think there's justice, and the past injustice has been only against blacks. And uh, you know, maybe the Native Americans need to do a better job of PR because of all the injustice they faced. However, the injustice faced by the Asians and particularly the Hindus has never been properly discussed. And this is a very serious matter because when you say 1923, that's not so far back. And essentially, what it did is it disincentivized. future immigrants from trying to get into the country so when we talk about the success of indian um, indians in the us today remember that we didn't start on a level playing field for the the, the europeans had a 300 year head start in getting here grabbing a lot of resources building their assets mm-hmm. building their companies and so on we are very new because of all these obstacles and all the setbacks that we were subject to so the fact that we've done well is quite remarkable even more remarkable considering this history absolutely and that the these early um sikh indian there were sikhs and there were primarily sikhs but also hindus and some muslims they were all actually uh, and they were mostly from the state of punjab uh, but so they were a highly successful community as we can see from the numbers and it was that too apart from race and other things that really you know uh, got all of the other labor unions riled up in the long and convoluted american history of immigration and race bias and how indians and hindus suffered there's another major chapter and that is in 1924 the united states federal government enacted a law that said that the quotas there will be quotas for people coming to the united states and the the for citizenship and this will be by country so the european countries got these kind of quotas uh, britain got 43% germany 17% ireland 12% and non whites zero so this is this is a uh, this is this sort of an allocation of who gets in uh, you know and in what proportion because they wanted to uh, they wanted to sort of engineer socially engineer the racial composition of the united states and that was the stated goal that was the goal that was the goal the national origins act which is the act that you just described of 1924 wanted to go further one step beyond the 1917 act 
and it wanted to actually maintain and preserve the northern European composition of the United States. And the interesting thing is that there were only six senators out of a hundred senators in the Senate. Six senators dissented. Yeah. That's pretty amazing how widespread the support was in the United States to enact this kind of a racist, white, this is white supremacy yes. right up to the 1920s. So out of the six who are dissenting, I mean, they have different reasons, but let's look at the one guy who supports this act. He's a Democrat, a Senator Ellison Durant Smith. He says, thank God we have in America perhaps the largest percentage of any country in the world of the pure, unadulterated Anglo-Saxon stock. Certainly the greatest of any nation in the Nordic breed. So it's a, as pure racist as you can get. And we blame Hitler for these kind of ideas. But here it is in the United States Senate, a Democratic senator saying these things. Then he says, let us shut the door and assimilate what we have and let us breed pure American citizens and develop our own American resources. There is a contrarian view. Um, one among the six dissenting no, votes. No, no, this is, this is a contrarian view of the Congress. Of the Congress, There's yes. a congressman. Mm -hmm. And he's a Republican. Now, today we think that the Republicans would be the racist guys and the Democrats would be for diversity. That happens actually much later in American history. It happens in the, in the Johnson era. Right. Uh, you know, in the Johnson era, uh, until Richard Nixon, for all his problems, the Republican Richard Nixon was actually more pro-black than his opponents were. Kennedy was not uh, pro-black, as he's made out to be. It is after Nixon in the and Kennedy in the... Johnson era that the Democrats champion civil rights and things of that sort. Right. I mean, the Republicans today sort of inherited the mantle of these Southern Democrats. Right. Yeah. Right. So this is the era in which we are seeing uh, actually a Republican, mm -hmm. uh, Congressman Robert Clancy. Right. And he says that the racial discriminations of this bill are un-American. Yeah. I cannot stultify myself by voting for the present bill and overwhelm my country with racial hatreds and racial lines and antagonisms drawn even tighter than they are today. And he's a, he's a person whose constituency consists of a lot of different minorities and he's always championing minority rights. So we want to say that not every American was a racist in the, at that time. Most of them were mm -hmm. and most of the ones in power definitely were. Mm -hmm. But there were a few liberal voices like this including a lot of Republicans. Now, it's important to remember that President Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, who was the president at this time, uh, did veto the bill, but it passed through Congress. So it's important to give him that due. Um, but Woodrow Wilson, uh, who was the very big shot in Princeton, he's a Princeton guy. I see. And, uh, you know, he's uh, all over the place. He's Woodrow Wilson School of International Studies and uh, he, you know, he was big shot here in the university before he became president. Uh, his overall record is as a racist. His overall record, in, uh, he, he did uh, pass certain other laws that mm -hmm. were discriminatory mm -hmm. and for segregation and mm -hmm. things of that sort. Sure. So, so really what we are saying is that one legal maneuver after another happens in the first half. The first half of the 20th century is a very racist America. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it legalizes racism. Uh, previously, it was uh, sort of practice 
and it was uh, media stuff and goons beating up people and so on. But now it becomes federal law, one law after another. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's, a, that's a story that we should remember. And it calls into question, of course, this whole narrative, you know, that we're a nation of immigrants, but some immigrants were always more welcome than others. Well, some immigrants were blocked, not just And less some welcome. were completely barred yeah. from entry, as yes. we've seen. So this actually, the, with the National Origins Act, the doors finally closed um, to Indians. And for 40 years after that, very, very few Indians made it over to the United States. Until 1965, yes. the civil rights, all the civil rights, the, the, the started by, you know, the, the, this Humphrey, uh, you know, Hubert Humphrey was a big champion in this. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, this whole era of civil rights, uh, civil liberties, uh, this sort of, this brought in also a change in the immigration law uh, to open up for non-whites to come to the U.S. Yes, and so this 1965 act that you're referencing that was signed into law by uh, President Johnson mm -hmm. uh, certainly uh, was passed because of all of the civil rights um, act, you know, activism that was going on in the 60s in this country and for a country that was trying to move beyond this racist past, uh, it was, uh, it looked, it didn't make America look good to have such a racist immigration bill or immigration law. So they actually had to make the changes and then there were some real heavy hitters behind it such as President Kennedy and President, Johnson, uh, President Lyndon Johnson uh, and the mood of the country had changed. I think the country was willing to open itself up to people from other parts of the world and America wanted to take a leadership position after World War II in the world. And so this picture shows uh, President Johnson signing this. Yes. Uh, that's a very historical moment. It is. It's uh, on October 3rd, 1965, um, and it's known as the law that changed the face of America because not only did it open the doors to Indians and Asians, but also to Latinos and to Africans uh, who had also been barred from uh, entering the country. And the Indian immigration story, the one that we are all familiar with, um, is the, the story that begins after the passage of this act. And Indians, I think Indians don't know this and it's important to, to reinforce this idea that we really owe a great deal to the civil rights movement because it was the civil rights movement that actually created the climate, the mood to move beyond, you know, very racist laws. So I would say past. that uh, the, all immigrants, non-European immigrants, owe a lot to the African-American movement very because so. we came on the backs of yeah. the struggle of the blacks. Yes. We really did. Yes, we I have. mean, they did the hard work. They paid the price and they opened the door yeah. and all of us are here. I, I, I fully agree with you. That yeah. is in fact what it is. And so uh, these uh, historical events are very, very linked. Mm. And had it not been for that civil rights movement, uh, we would not be here. Yeah. So. And so we close with a uh, clip from President Johnson, uh, his remarks on when he signed this bill. Watch it. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. It does not affect the lives of millions. It will not reshape the structure of our daily lives or really add importantly to 
either our wealth or our power. Yet it is still one of the most important acts of this Congress and of this administration, for it does repair a very deep and painful flaw in the fabric of American justice. It corrects a cruel and enduring wrong in the conduct of the American nation. Speaker McCormick and Congressman Seller, more than uh, almost 40 years ago, first pointed that out in their maiden speeches in the Congress. And this measure that we will sign today will really make us truer to ourselves, both as a country and as a people. It will strengthen us in a hundred unseen ways. Yet the fact is that for over four decades, the immigration policy of the United States has been twisted and has been distorted by the harsh injustice of the national origins quota system. Under that system, the ability of new immigrants to come to America depended upon the country of their birth. Only three countries were allowed to supply 70% of all the immigrants. Families were kept apart because a husband or a wife or a child had been born in the wrong place. Men of needed skill and talent were denied entrance because they came from Southern or Eastern Europe or from one of the developing continents. To help me, you can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying, how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, you go to rajivmalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. If you are in a foreign country like in the US or somewhere, you can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. If you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, Infinity Foundation India and you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.